What's up, guys? Welcome back to the probably final Studio Ghibli Miyazaki in review. As always, I'm Tim Geddes, joined by Ubisoft's own Belinda Garcia. What's up? Ready for this last one? The Nitro Rifle, Andy Cortez. He's not retired, right? We've got at least six more movies out of him, right? (laughs) The big dog, Kevin Coelho. No, he retired for reals this time, right? And the producer slash producer, Nick Scarpino. The w- is the wind rising? Yes, the wind rises. <laughs> God, we're also doing Batman interview because this is Kind of Funny's in review. You can watch it live on twitch.tv slash Kind of Funny Games. You can watch it later on youtube.com slash Kind of Funny or roosterteeth.com. Also, if you want to listen to it as a podcast, we'll be right there for you on your favorite podcast service. Just search for Kind of Funny Reviews. If you want to get the show ad-free, you can go to patreon.com slash Kind of Funny, just like Muhammad Muhammad and Al Tribesman. Our Patreon producers, thank you. We appreciate you. Uh, Every Monday here, we're going to be doing a little bit of Batman in review. And then on Thursday, starting next week after this, we're going to be doing Conjuring Cinematic Universe in review. We're getting spooky for Halloween, ladies and gentlemen. I'm scared. I don't know about you guys, but I definitely am. Uh, I'm super scared, yeah. not looking forward to it. Yeah, you're not even on it. Andy, what? Andy, I I have never seen The Conjuring before in my life, and I watched it last night. And you should never watch this movie; it will terrify you beyond the (laughs) the ability for rational thought. Did you watch it, Kevin? I did watch it. Paula really likes The Conjuring. I'm not on it either, but like Paula really likes The Conjuring movies, so she got me to watch this one. And uh, I I, I don't know. there's, There's been a lot of levels of portrayal here at this company, and I feel. Like Kevin and I have always been on the same level when it scary came to buddies. scary movies. No thanks, we don't want any part of this world. And then suddenly, Movie Bros began, and then Kevin was just like, "Scary movie, scary movie, scary movie." I watched. And like meanwhile, two I got left. Movies. And meanwhile, I got left behind, and suddenly, you know, Kevin's just in the scary movie community now, and it's and there's I'm nothing sorry, scarier you, than Andy. being left alone, Andy. Nothing scarier than that. Uh, Belinda doesn't like scary movies either, so we nope. can be, I got we can you. be okay, fine, great, yeah. great. Why do you have to great. single him out like that? <laughs> Today we are talking about The Wind Rises, released on July 20th, 2013. In early 2013, the 72-year-old Hayao Miyazaki announced that he would retire after the release of The Wind Rises, marking his sixth such announcement. We got the Kojima of movies going on here. Mm-hmm. Nick, has there been a, a like American director that has announced multiple retirements? kind of, right? No. Not, he's no, not really. his 10th movie would stop but he's but not I feel like, star trek i feel like he's on movie 14 now or something no. i don't know but he's like, he is actually like retired and everyone's like yay and then he's like you know what i'm gonna do one more he's actually done that multiple <laughs> yeah times. he was the Brett anyone... Favre of the mid 2000s yeah he's Usually supposed to have a movie out in 2023 so he's still wait who are we talking about he's still got one more miyazaki, miyazaki. still has the movie oh. that he's gonna direct really? in 2023 yeah and you can find the- us right here on YouTube.com slash kind of funny reviewing <laughs> that, seeing where it ranks in 2023. Yeah, is, directed. That the, is that the 3D one? I think so. It's called How Do You I, Live? Because I know because there's a 3D one that obviously is still very Miyazaki style uh, in terms of how the characters look, but it is fully 3D rendered and it sort of hit the Twitter. Uh, you know, it kind of went viral on Twitter 
through a lot of animation Twitter and people were mm-hmm. like, oh, Miyazaki's going to hate this shit because he, you know, apparently he doesn't really like 3D movies. No, wasn't that for him. the 3D? Uh, no, not, no, not, not Lupin. Lupin. There was no. another one that yeah. I think it's probably Studio Ghibli. Yes, it's definitely Ghibli. Yeah. How dope would it have been if, if his last movie was another Lupin movie, though? Oh, that'd be that'd sick. Be cool. Bring a full circle. I'm excited for that, that new Lupin movie. It's gonna it be looks dope. dope. It when looks do we cool. get it? When do we get it? I feel like it's gonna be our mother three. Like it's gonna be our like we're never gonna get it localized <laughs> here. Uh music once again by Joe. He's the he say Ishi, a budget of thirty million dollars, a box office of hundred and thirty six point five million, a runtime of two hours and six minutes. It's like guys, we don't need these animated movies to be that long. Especially the animated movies that are largely just like us watching a character's inner thoughts, which this movie is. It's a lot of introspective moments where he's just staring into the sky and then disappearing in fantasies of the dreaming of Italian people, which I've been there. But this is one of those where I'm like, I don't know that the relationship between him and Naoko really got hammered home because a lot of it's unspoken. And it's so hard for me to get across that emotion with animated characters who aren't emoting through their, their faces that well. But... I digress. Uh, in terms of awards, The Wind Rises received 13 nominations and 17 awards for Best Animated Feature, including one Academy Award nomination. After the release of Ponyo, Miyazaki wanted his next film to be a sequel, Ponyo on the Cliff by the Sea 2. But his producer proposed to adopt the manga The Wind Has Risen instead. At first, Miyazaki rejected the proposal because he created the manga as a hobby and considered its subjects not suitable for children, the traditional audience of the feature animations from Studio Ghibli. However, Mm -hmm. Miyazaki changed his mind and withdrew his objection after a staff member suggested that children should be allowed to be exposed to subjects they're not familiar with. Uh, Miyazaki was inspired to make the film after reading a quote from uh, Horikoshi. All I wanted to do was make... All I wanted to do was to make something beautiful. So, yeah, oh, he man. did. I he thought did. it was beautiful. I, yeah. I I really enjoyed this, actually. I And I could totally see why people didn't. Like It's one of those movies mm-hmm. where you have to sort of be in that right, that right mindset. Um, and if you're not, it will be a slow movie that just sort of meanders and doesn't really do a whole lot for you. And the time jumps right. can kind of confuse you and you'll... I don't know. By the end of it, you'll feel like what really kind of happened in this movie. Um, and I could totally see why anybody wouldn't enjoy this movie. I liked it a lot, actually. I thought it was, I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was heartfelt. And um, the relationship that isn't nailed as hard as it should be, like Nick said earlier, I still found uh, really emotional. And those final sequences really got me. You know, yeah, I think this it's- being the like millionth Miyazaki movie we've watched, I appreciated how different it was, how there wasn't any magic. And anytime there was, it was explained away as being in a dream. Yeah. Uh, but I really feel like this is so much more of a grown up story and it is it is very slow. And uh, I don't know if I want to use the word meandering, but I, I do think that it is deliberately paced. And it, that's stuff that I usually don't vibe with. But I do think that it was refreshing to have this type of uh movie to compare to all the other ones that he's done because there's so many similarities between them with the exception of this like the only thing this has in common with the others is how beautiful it looks and sounds uh but i liked that this was a real story about like real character like real people and that it was so much smaller of a of a tale with the the characters themselves and when we built the relationship between the two of them. I liked that it wasn't this like Wait, hammered the, home the, helpless the woman romantic. Wasn't real, thing. Though. Finish. Sorry. What, Kevin? I said the woman wasn't real. 
I think he meant more like reality based characters oh, where it's like a historical, like a historical, like, yeah. uh, you know, sort of yeah, account yeah. based off of the real uh, Jiro, right? There's a real Jiro. There was that. a real Jiro. He did make right. planes, but right. the, from what I've looked into it, that the, there, I mean, he like had five kids. And stuff, yeah. But... They took liberties and stuff like that. But yeah. I mean, yeah. I think, I think the idea Tim I'm not talking, talking about, about is like, historically accurate. I'm talking about the, it's, these are real people that yeah, like, yeah, could, right. like, everything they did in this could have actually happened yeah and there's there's definitely an effort made to to make this movie grounded and make it sort of an homage to a historic figure in japanese culture especially uh, pre-world war ii um what what i think i always find interesting is is watching these films um there's just i I really do think it's a difference between the styles of like miyazaki and like traditional hollywood you know formulas where there's never really like you get a sense that it's important for him to build this plane but we never see a beat where like the war is coming closer the war is coming closer the war is upon us we get those images of the fire and the bombers things like that but if this were made by like spielberg you would see, I mean, there would be a war like at their doorstep and he would have to get that final thing, that 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 rivet that he never figured out before he'd finally figure it out. And then boom, they would go on to like make the plane to win the war. This is a lot more um, like introverted and it's a lot more just about the character. And it's a lot less to do with those those big stakes. Like there aren't really you don't really feel a ton of stakes in this specifically by the end because, you know, kind of how the war played out. Like it didn't, they didn't win, and they kind of make a mention to that. And I, and I'm not quite sure if his if his losing is supposed to be thematically tied in with him losing Naoko. Um, but it's it's just kind of a it's just kind of a weird movie that I find at odds with the style that I'm normally used to. But having said that, I really enjoyed it. I just, I, you know, when you have to take notes on a two and a half hour or two hour long movie, and most of the movie is one of the characters staring into the sky, and then an Italian character appears and they talk theoretically and philosophically about what a plane is i'm like okay well we're getting a little lost here blinda what do you think i really like well i like jiro a lot like i think he's very humble and i like that a lot of the development and uh conflict was internalized and it made me love the character more i thought this was one of the most beautiful movies we've watched uh within this interview um i enjoyed it a lot i thought it was paced like a live action biographical film um mm-hmm. and that's a great I, re- putting it, yeah. I really really enjoyed it like it was just a story of this one person um and his love of airplanes and i really enjoyed it yeah that's kind of what i enjoyed the most about it is that it really did focus on his perspective of all this which the male perspective isn't something we get from these movies too often like it most of the miyazaki movies have been uh different ranges of ages of, of the female perspective but i enjoyed it being from him but we also get her in it and she is still a strong character it's not like it's just him and how he wants to be but i like his relationship with his friend and we see how that all grows but nick what you're talking about like the war not being the focus i liked that because he just is making planes he doesn't want to make them for the war but that's not the whole crux of this of like his morality of all of that it's like no he's doing it and that is just his life and the way that he is affected by her dying and by the way her dying no one's died in one of these movies like that alone makes this movie stand out to me so much more than so many of the other ones because it's like when you not only to strip the fantastical elements out but to add the reality of death i think uh hits really really hard and the very end of this movie where it's like yeah the they lost the war it's like that is so i I think well told and and just subtle enough like it's obvious enough but subtle enough where it's just like that's not the point of this movie but it's also a reality that we can't get away from yeah they're not trying to beat you over the head with with you know all the just like Nick was saying you know Spielberg would have had 
planes flying by and dropping bombs. And we saw that initial sort of um, in the intro with those sort of cartoon bombs and the uh, when they sort of, you know, I guess um, they put war inside of his dream or whatever is what he was visualizing. And when that scene first happened, I thought, oh, shit, I thought this was more of a realistic movie. I didn't think there would be fantastical elements, but then it turns out that that was all in his dreams. I, I I don't know. I, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I'm glad that the war stuff, like even though it wasn't this end all be all sort of danger, the Mm -hmm. threat still felt real. And towards the end, I still felt really anxious and I still felt that tension, um, whether it be with sound cues, whether it be with, um them you know especially when he looks out into the distance when they when he finally gets the plane flying and he looks out into the distance and we we assume it's either him knowing that um Na- nahoko no naoko what's her name naoko yeah we got we assume that it's he senses naoko's either leaving or she just passed away but during that scene like you you feel those moments even though it isn't the enemy coming to bomb people it's a, you still feel like this feeling of dread and i I don't know. I wasn't expecting that from Miyazaki, you know, especially since the last few movies have always been kind of yeah. whimsical and silly. And on top of that, uh, you, you brought up the beginning opening scene with the the bombs and stuff and that being so fantastical and cartoony and then so quickly being told to you, it's a dream. It's mm-hmm. like it sets this up for, OK, this is a different type of movie. And then maybe within 30 minutes, there's the earthquake scene. And that is shown in such a fantastical way that. You all you, you don't believe that it's real for yeah. a, a bit, and and it, the I sounds think that that is make it feel the, like it's fantastical. And yeah. uh, I noticed the sounds were weird, but did you do you know the fact about the sounds, Belinda? Yeah, people making sounds, right? Yeah, it's totally made with people's mouths and stuff, and it's like every it. for the engine roars and for the earthquake, um, it's all human voices, and like that was like to kind of make it feel like it is this like scary thing that we are causing and all that you know all it the reminded, stuff. It reminded me of the 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 more tense scenes in Akira. Uh, in Akira or whatever, when you when you start to hear like the you start start to hear this sort of chorus of people, you know, making sounds and it's kind of underneath the action. Yeah, it's like really scary yeah. and shit. And like when that earthquake happened, I totally thought it was going to be this supernatural monster coming to come do something. Well, and like the way maybe like, it's real, maybe it's yeah. maybe it's sort of like an analogy to to war or whatever. But I was not expecting it to actually just be a legitimate earthquake. And I think that that is the most powerful thing of this movie is that we're so used to these elements from his movies and then what they end up being. And for this to be like, I don't know, that's real. Like that was an earthquake that affected people. Yeah. Her leg was broken because of this. It's like, I, I enjoyed that quite a bit. Yeah. Let's get to the plot. Oh, well, the win. No, I, right, what's up, Kev? I just didn't give my re- like reaction thoughts. I actually think, didn't. I, I thought the movie was totally fine, but just overall, I don't know. I It didn't do much for me. And I kind of, uh, you know, watching it, like, it felt long. Uh, it, it did have sentimental moments. By the end of it, like, it did have me, like, the, that moment where he looks over, it's like, it did, like, hit. Uh, but just overall, I don't know. I It kind of questioned, like, it looked beautiful, but at the same time, it made me think, like, why is it an animated movie? Like, I don't know, like, you know... Did it being animated add anything? This this is the first of these movies where I was like, oh, this could have just been a live action movie, and it would have, mm. I think, been like the same. It could have, yeah. but I I loved all. The, I think the, I think the animation department just was flexing oh, no. nonstop yeah. with all with all the with all the transitions, 
the with paintings. The, yeah, um, gorgeous. The background. No, I, I mean it's uh, like I, I loved un, when he's un... explaining when he's explaining um, his idea of what this plane should be, and he's talking to his crew, and the crew looks up, and suddenly it's the sky, and it's changing. Like I, all of those moments are just fucking beautiful to look at, and uh, I mean I don't. Yeah, I, I think the Studio Ghibli does a great job with like like the design of stuff and like those transitions are fantastic but i think that that could have worked in real life too you know i mean, what I mean? can't you say that about any of miyazaki movies then like if they were just know. cg like, like real live action the is away i feel like would be difficult to to get like the budget of it would have to be insane to get all the the stuff that they did you know what i mean yeah, I don't know. I don't. I, I just think that's a weird question. Like, you know, did it being animated add anything for you? I feel like you could say that about any of the other movies that it could be live action with CG elements and stuff. I, I don't know. I just love looking at the characters. I love his. I love the character designs. I know they're not just his or whatever, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I think it was just a gorgeous movie to look at, especially because it's more modernized. Because it's a newer movie, the the clarity is just better. You know, it's a newer cartoon. Uh, it's newer animation. It's newer lines. It's newer uh, colors and stuff. So um, that's that's one thing I've been looking forward to in this series is obviously we started with Nausicaa or we started with Lupin and it's it's an older cartoon and it looks older, right? Uh, and as we keep on getting more and more modernized, we start seeing newer elements and new sort of techniques being put into the, the pipeline. And I, I just loved every second of it. The wind rises. The wind is rising. We must try to live, says Paul Valery. This is a quote that keeps coming up, and I think it has a dual meaning, but I'm not quite sure because the Italian guy talks with a thick accent, and it reminds me too much of my Italian uh, relatives back in Italy, and then it makes me feel guilty for not having visited. We oh, open. Stanley Tucci, I think. Yeah. The Tucci. The Tucci. Yeah, the Tucci. Yeah, this one had, this had a great voice cast for the American actors. Had, I mean, like, yeah. Tucci, J Mandy JGL, JGL's line delivery is just top so notch good. i think he was okay. like my favorite good he was my least favorite of this movie there's something about it where and i, I think it, it just might be i might be too familiar with his voice in a way that i couldn't separate it being him uh but i i really enjoyed the rest of the cast but he he stood out to me as as I, not every line it's not like entirely it was uniformly bad but i do think that there was like i'd say about a tenth of his lines i was like taken out of it a little bit i felt that way about john krasinski i felt like half of john krasinski's lines weren't really read that well um but i thought jgl was a fucking master i, felt, I felt that uh jgl's like at some point in his career his voice changed i want to say it was looper where he did that he was trying to do bruce, bruce willis a little bit and then it kind of stuck that way i watched uh power recently and it's the same thing where he like adds this extra grittiness to it and I, I guess this like, would have... like where, he, where he's like 16, but he's trying to pretend like he's a he sounded yeah. deeper like, in this yeah. movie for some reason. But yeah. I'm thinking I, I, immediately I like to like See, I, I, days I, of summer I, is I, completely I, different. I like I a lot of his be... line deliveries, though, because I think he delivers them with a little bit of angst or a little bit of like social awkwardness. And I think that kind of works for the character. It's also Sorry. just super understated, and I, I don't know. I just loved, I loved all of it. But you're so right, Belinda. Like Five Hundred Days of Summer, it's a different person. <laughs> it's an absolute different person. Great Third movie, Harper. Uh, so we open on a house which is shrouded in fog. So much for that wind. Some kids uh, sleep probably <laughs> because they haven't seen the horrors that await them once they go through that tunnel into the abandoned amusement park. Uh, one child, of course, <laughs> you know, climbs up. 
to the roof and gets into a plane. He fires that bad boy up and rises high into the sky. We're treated some, just more of that signature stunning scenery that we, we've come to know and love from the studio Ghibli films. Up in the sky, he runs into a bunch of presumably Nazi airships, just enemy airships. Uh, and he can barely see them because his eyes are whack. Uh, one of their bombs drops with some really spooky shadowy figures oh, on it. Real quick, the Nazis weren't their bits. enemies. The planes look like Nazi-esque, though. I, yeah. I I know the Japanese yeah. and the Nazis were in the axis of evil, but it's fine. Uh, surprise, it was all a dream. I used to read Word Up Magazine. Jiro wakes up. Thank you for that, Nick. <laughs> to school. His teacher gives him a copy of, Asia, of the Aviation Journal weekly or monthly, and if you listen closely, uh, someone off-screen calls him a fucking dork. He's <laughs> like, here's this copy of Aviation Monthly. No, what chapter is it on? What's the appendage? Right? Oh, which one has the wings? Anyway, uh, Jiro, and that that about sums up Nick's uh knowledge of aeronautical. (laughs) (laughs) Which one has the wings? Uh, later that day, uh, Jiro straight up just fucking throws of some bullies and then heads home. Uh, his little sister Ko uh gives him crap for for being late, not playing with her, uh, but she doesn't have time, but he doesn't have time. He's I love the attitude on this one. This little sister. I love that. Like this movie, obviously, unlike the other ones, kind of goes over a range of a, bum- a bunch of different times. But I love that she just stays consistent. She's always this little yeah. sister with a personality. She ain't taking no shit. Young Kaya is voiced by uh, Mae Whitman, who also voiced Katara in The Last Airbender. Dope. Oh, cool. Also in Scott uh, Pilgrim, the fourth evil. Yes. Arrest, Arrested Development. Yes. And right, but, right, Kev. Egg? That's right. That's right. Her? Um, but Damn, that's does not what have I should have said. Stupid. <laughs> Jiro does not have time for these childish things because he's too busy translating the aviation journal. Later that night, uh, Jiro looks at the stars uh, and, he, and he fixes his eye to try to fix his eyes because uh, he's like, I heard that if you could look at the stars long enough, you could fix your eyes. And then his sister comes up and she goes, look at all those amazing shooting stars. There's so many of them. And he can't see any of them. He's like, God damn, this is not working. Uh, and then he dreams <laughs> about a uh, an Italian a bunch of Italian airships flying overhead with Count Caproni at the helm, and this is a guy from his aviation magazine that he has made into this character in his life. It's an inspiration. They welcome uh, each other to each other's dreams, and then it turns out to be a nightmare because uh, those planes that he has designed are in fact being used as bombers and will probably not return from their run, which is nice foreshadowing for the end of the movie. Uh, Trance port lands and Jiro and account get in count shows him his true dream of building not bombers but a passenger airplane capable of carrying people all over the world that's what he wants and apparently when he gets to realize that dream it is the most unsafe thing you've ever seen in your life there are 400 <laughs> people standing room only partying in the bottom of it and there's drunk ass Italians up on the wings walking around like look at me just walking their heads into look fucking propellers and just dicing their heads off when did, when did planes like the traditional planes that we think of now first come to be. We got to call Gusterola for this. The tin cans, like the the actual like Airbus looking planes. Yeah, like when was the first time I could go from San Francisco to New York? Oh, international flights. I think you could do that in a, in Not the forties and fifties. Oh, San Francisco, New York. I mean, you could you well, could always go across, across country in probably the forties and fifties. But it's when you start thinking about, I imagine, and Kev, you can fact check me on this, but I imagine when you start thinking about like what a modern airplane looks like, you're talking sixties. Maybe late 50s. I've never, I, like, here's the thing. I've never. Once you like, got to jet propulsion, that's what kind of jet propulsion was right after World War II or right during, like, at the tail end of World War II. I don't, so, I don't trust planes, right? Um, I don't, I, I guess when I'm on a, pl- I've, I've flown many planes. times. When I'm on a flight, it's, it's whatever. But I still feel like, 
<laughs> I still feel like I don't trust planes now. And I remember watching Halt and Catch Fire where they're doing like an international flight. And I'm thinking like, and even Nick, you mentioned that you were in Italy at one point in your childhood. It's like, I would have never, ever thought that it's possible to do international flights like in the 80s Back and in the, the 90s. 50s, yeah. dude, it was, it was, it was in way the 20s. I went to, I think I went to Italy and I remember talking about this on Batman. I remember distinctly having a Batman magazine before it came out. So it must have been 88, late 88, early 89. And we went to Italy and we sat in coach and there were two Italians in front of us smoking cigars the entire time. That's how different it was. Like, I was really like, I can't breathe. And the whole cabin was filled with smoke. And everyone was just cool with it. Because That's where you got addicted. It was 89. I was like, <sighs> Nick, was it more comfortable there? Like, What's that? Was it more spacious? Because I feel I mean, like... I, I, it's always spacious for me, Kevin. I have short legs. <laughs> I, I feel like at some point, they like double down. They're like, we need to pack as many humans as possible. Probably. I think I, I don't remember because I was a kid. I used to I was like so small that I could like lay on like two chairs and just lay sideways. But yeah, I mean, lately they've been packing them in. Thanks, COVID. Um, let's see. Where are we? Oh, he wants to build a passenger airplane. Um, they walk on the wings and watch the um, in, with amazement at an even bigger passenger plane. That's his real GM. And then Jiro asks Caproni if he can still design airplanes despite having bad eyes and not being able to be a pilot. And Caproni gives him like a hell yeah, dude. Uh, airplanes are not uh, for war making or for making money they're for turning beautiful dreams into reality uh jiro wakes and tells his mother the five words my mom wished i'd said to her a mom i'm gonna be an engineer uh instead i said mom i'm gonna be a film major and she just made the sign of the cross and walked away hasn't talked to me since <laughs> i told my mom i wanted to make cartoons doug <laughs> how that work out? <laughs> I was like, damn it. Well, we've got the other one. Uh, over on his <laughs> Jiro is older now. He gives his seat up to uh, in the crowded compartment to a lady and sits on the steps to watch the scenery go by. Uh, that uh, then he spots a little French girl with a funny hat, and the wing kicks up Jiro's hat and, and it flies off. And you know, young Naoko catches it. Uh, Jiro asks her if she speaks French, and she responds with a poem, which is a weird and what I would say aggressive flex. Um, and then he flexes right back with a different poem and that poem is the one we read originally which is quote the wind is rising we must try to live paul walker uh a big old thank you thank ripple you. rolls through the hills and kicks up the train and this is where the fire kicks off the passengers run for their lives as the boiler starts to blow but he's like don't worry it's not gonna blow and then uh, i think kinu has broken her leg so jiro carries her to safety and then he braces her leg with one of those cool slide wheelers and a scarf that he has um uh, a fire rises over the horizon with a massive roar uh let me say that better sorry a fire rises over the horizon with a massive roar uh, Jiro drenches a shirt in water and to quench the girl's thirst, which I was like, that's ingenious, but also kind of gross. Even if the shirt is clean, it would probably taste like some sort of bleach or starch. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and then like, even if you told me the shirt's clean, also, I'm, I still don't trust it. You but know? I mean, how do you transport yeah. the water? Like he didn't have a cup on him. I mean, he in was smart hands. in your hands. Baby, baby bird. It. Put him yeah, in your baby bird. Jesus it. Christ. Exactly. Put in your pocket. The, the inside of the mouth is cleaner than the, the outside of a shirt. That's what scientists always say. Uh, Jiro and Naoko head to her house they to bring back say help. That, just to be clear, <laughs> that's a common saying in the scientific community. It's not. Uh, and <laughs> they bring back some help, and then um, Jiro bounces without telling them his name. Power move. Jiro gets back to the university <laughs> where his friend Hanjo is helping to get all the books out of the library. They smoke a cigarette as they watch Tokyo burn to the ground. And I'm just like, I don't know if that's an appropriate response to watching your entire city burn to the ground. But hey, man, smoke them if you got them. Kevin, how much did this make you want to smoke cigarettes this whole movie? Yeah, I hadn't thought about it. 
Really? Wow. No, you're a liar. liar. You went out to <laughs> you went out, you went out to light up four heaters immediately. No. <laughs> smoke butts. Smoke butts. I haven't smoked in come on. It's been so long. <laughs> Jiro finds a postcard that floats by from Caproni with an image of his passenger plane and he is overjoyed. Guess what? That shit don't fly though. Uh we see it crash and kill everyone into the sea. Uh we catch back up with Jiro once things have calmed down and he's hard at work at his studies. The town is is being rebuilt, but it's very old school, and Hanjo makes uh, a point Wait. to call out all of the old school elements. Sorry, real quick. Throughout this moment. Was that the moment where we see like the the guy from his dream? fly the, the the big plane that he wanted to and it like yeah collapses. he's doing like the he's like oh my god i'm making a movie and, and some pizza and pie it, yeah. and then it collapses and then he, and then he like grabs the, guy's the camera i thought very him Italian. ripping apart the camera Hurts. just to destroy any proof like no i was just like i i get it man like i've never had a failure that big but like if i did and someone was recording it yeah. i would make sure it stopped <laughs> being recorded remember when kevin thing? ran into, into the, the glass door God, I'm Remember so when he happy. ran to the glass door and we didn't have that on film? Like, that was so, the worst thing we've ever done. I'm so happy I didn't, we didn't have that on film. That hurt. I actually thought about that recently. That hurt a lot more than it looked like. <laughs> that was great. It shook yeah. the house. <laughs> I think our house just got attacked by a monster. Uh, Hanjo is super negative. He makes it a point to be negative about how all their old school techniques are, are not advancing in the future and they are falling behind and thus uh, plunging Japan deeper and deeper into uh, everyone else's debt around them. Uh, he gets a package from a young lady. When he opens it, it's all of the uh, it's brand new versions of the items that he used. Or maybe not brand new. Maybe she just cleaned them and returned them. I can't remember uh, to help uh, Naoko's sister. He rushes out to find Naoko, but she is nowhere to be found when he gets home uh ko is waiting for him again not the girl he wanted to see uh they walk and talk and reminisce about naoko and jiro tries to find had tried to find her but we see that after the fires were out he went back to her house and the whole thing was just burned down so he had no means of being able to catch up with her uh and then they catch a steamer across the channel uh and this this is so interesting because i don't have a lot of uh touch points for this particular era of pre-world war ii japan but it's freaking cool it's so rad to see them like on the steamer and it's that it's that perfect i think th that's the power of this movie is it's that little like combination of that confluence that meeting point of the old school traditional japan and then post-world war ii we have to catch up we have to become an industrial nation and we have to basically lead technology largely all throughout even to this day um but i just love that that tradition of like that that to me is japan of like that our stark tradition of old and then the acceptance of the new and how those two marry together i i, I did love the uh there were you know several references to when uh jgl and krasinski are having their conversations and they're just like we're behind we're never going to catch up we're never yeah. going to catch up to their tech i, I love little ties in uh, uh um ties into real history like that i think that's really cool uh, Ko mentions that she wants to go to med school, but her father won't let her. And Jiro says, "I'll put in. A, I'll talk to father uh, when I'm home for New Year's, and he'll let you go." And then he rides a train that nearly kills a bunch of villagers, and is greeted by Hanjo uh, when he gets off the station. They pull up to a crowd of pissed off people at a bank because the bank has closed, presumably locking in their money forever. Uh, and they mention the economy is just in the tanks, and so is their Terrifying. employer. So we better get to work. Uh, Deal with the villagers on the tracks. They were all unemployed, and they were heading toward the city to find new jobs. I think. Okay. Didn't understand that how was they make it. They make a note of he was like they're all out of work and they're all hungry and, they, and he's like so are all these people and we need to get to work because our bosses like our company's not doing that great either so we better work our asses off so we can save this company and at least put some food on our table. The idea um, and of then the they just banks, smoke a bunch of cigarettes. The idea of the banks just shutting down is terrifying. I, I know that crazy. like our banks are all insured and stuff, which is cool, right? Yeah, hopefully. But like. <laughs> yeah right hopefully <laughs> but like 
can you imagine all these people all of a sudden being like, oh, hey, your bank is closed and your money's gone? Sorry. Like that's, um, it's terrifying. Yeah. yeah. That would be, that's like world ending category, like consequences for people. Before you do that, though, like, let's just hack the, let's get the hackers to take out the student loans, Kev. Like, I, we got to figure this out, dude. Man, student loans follow you no matter where you go. Yeah. Man, you'd be on Mars. They'll, they'll, they'll find you and bill your ass for those student loans. But if you need help with those loans, ladies and gentlemen, this episode is brought to you by Upstart. Thank you. Thank you. As most of us have found out the hard way, getting into debt is easy and getting out is hard, especially if your credit score isn't great. Thankfully, now there's Upstart.com, the revolutionary lending platform that knows that you are more than just your credit score. And they offer smarter interest rates to help you pay off high interest credit card debt. Upstart goes beyond the traditional credit score when assessing your credit worthiness. They actually reward you based on your education and job history in the form of a smarter rate. Upstart believes that you are more than just your credit score. They believe in you. They make it fast, simple, and easy to check your rate. Since it's just a soft poll, it won't affect your credit score. The hard poll only happens if you accept their rate. Uh, my friend got some pretty bad credit issues and Upstart was there to help him when uh, it consolidated everything and made it just a lot simpler for him to understand what he has to do, paying just one thing a month. It's easy. Free yourself from the burden of high interest credit card debt by consolidating everything into one monthly payment with Upstart. See why Upstart is top ranked in their category with a 4.9 out of 5 rating on Trustpilot and hurry to upstart.com slash morning to find out how low your Upstart rate is. Checking your rate only takes a few minutes. That's upstart.com slash morning. Also, shout out to HelloFresh. You can get fresh pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door with HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Uh, HelloFresh lets you skip the trips to the grocery store and makes home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. Uh, I've been talking about this pork chop Gia made for me, and I, I'm not going to stop talking about it because it was utterly fantastic. Uh, you can save time, money, and stress effortlessly. HelloFresh offers convenient delivery right to your doorsteps for Easy home cooking with the family. Uh, there's something for everyone, including low-calorie, vegetarian, and kid-friendly recipes. HelloFresh delivers pre-portioned ingredients so you're not overbuying, which is a burden on the planet and your wallet. So help out the planet and your wallet by checking out HelloFresh. Here's the deal. All you got to do is go to HelloFresh.com slash 80morning and use the code 80morning to get a total of $80 off your first month, including free shipping on your first box. Go to HelloFresh.com slash 80morning and use code 80morning to get a total of $80 off your first month, including free shipping on your first box. Additional restrictions apply. Please visit HelloFresh.com for more details. And finally, shout out to ExpressVPN. There's a ton of VPN providers out there. You've probably heard of a couple of them. And uh, some of you have maybe even used a VPN before, but... If you haven't used ExpressVPN, you haven't been using the best VPN. Uh, we can say with full confidence that ExpressVPN is the best VPN on the market. And here's why. Uh, they don't lock your data. That's a huge one. Lots of really cheap or free VPNs make money by selling your data to ad companies. That's the whole point of using a VPN is not having that stuff happen. So ExpressVPN de developed a technology called Trusted Server that makes it impossible for their servers to lock any of your info. Second, we're talking about speed, baby. This thing is fast. It's as fast as you need it to be. And the last thing that really sets ExpressVPN apart from the other ones is how easy it is to use. Uh, unlike other ones, you don't need to input or program anything. You just fire up the app, click one button, you're connected, it's working, it's good. Protect yourself with the VPN and you can easily do it by going to use the link at expressvpn.com slash morning today and get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash morning expressvpn.com slash morning to learn more thank you sponsors for believing in us thank you thank you
and we're waiting on Nick. So I'm just yeah, gonna fill it's, some it's okay. I'm just gonna yeah. fill some space. Do it and uh, talk about that. Yeah, maybe I'll actually look into Upstart. You should, man. It's it's great. I'm not lying. Refinance these loans, so I'm not paying them off for the next forty years. It's a great time to do it right now. Really? Tell is. you what. No, tell you no. what. Yeah, I really I'm proud of that segue. By the way, that felt, was great. Felt good about it. Felt good. You should be proud. You should be proud. Back to the plot, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Jiro gets to his new job and is greeted by his boss, Kurokawa, who is a dick to him, but it's okay we forgive him because he's played by the venerable Martin Short. Uh, Jiro works hard on a strut design, but can't crack it. He fantasizes about it flying, but it goes down. That plane with that strut design goes down real hard. And then Jiro and Hondra have lunch and stop by the build shop where Jiro sees that they've already installed the faulty strut. And he's like, this is not going to go well. Uh, the big boss, Mr. Hattori, comes by to examine Jiro's new designs, which is way better. Uh, they retire for the night and spot Oxen dragging the prototypes of the field. And again, this is where Han- Hanjo thinks he's like, this is just a really weird and archaic way of doing this. But Jiro kind of likes it. Um, they watch the new prototype fly and Kurokawa is, is stoked until he realizes his stopwatch is broke and then luckily Jiro is there to let him know the plane doesn't have enough horsepower to cut the muster. Uh, the client is excited into the plane. I guess for some reason this pilot's like, I'm just going to really put this thing through its paces and then it breaks apart and you think the pilot's dead but he just pops a shoot last minute um, and he's, tra- cause he's trying to break 200 knots. They make that point. It's 200 knots, Kevin. It's a lot of knots but it's not enough knots. Again, like you got, you got to have some bravery to not only try out a plane. Like, let me test, let me test fly this shit, and hope that it works. And if and if it explodes, hopefully I can get out. And if I do get out, hopefully the shoot come, pops out. Like, it's like so many factors, bro. It's not just test the plane. It's like let's push it to its limits. Yeah. Uh, God damn, dude. Somebody still has to do that today. I oh, know. That's what freaks me out. Let's get drones in there, man. I, I I think the computers help a lot now and like can tell you like like they can give you parameters and stuff cuz like back in these days like t- Tim's saying push it to its limits and it's like they have no idea what the limits are. So <laughs> like the dude was like, "All right, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to dive down straight down for like, you know, a couple thousand feet." And then I'm going to try to turn. Oh, and it's like, oh, that ripped it apart. That yeah. ripped the plane <laughs> apart. Jesus. Because it's made out of wood. God. Uh, they Later that day, they investigate the wreckage in the rain. And then uh, Kirokawa gets real real with him. And he's like, this project's dead. Uh, we have to now bid on a bomber instead. And so, Jiro, you have to go. You and Hondra have to go to Germany to study their designs. Uh, on the way uh, home, Jiro stops off for some sponge cake, which he offers to some kids waiting for the parents. And they do not trust him at all. So mm-hmm. they run. Uh, Hanjo comes home and starts immediately eating a sponge cake, which I think was a fun scene with friends because that was what I would do if I saw a sponge cake. Uh, and he wants details on the Falcon Project's cancellation. Jiro tells him about the hungry kids, and he's like, "What did you expect? You're fucking weird as shit." And then, he, uh, and then he's like, "We don't understand why this country is so poor." Um, and then I totally related to the line though, by the way, where Kuzinski's like, "How do you sir? How you how do you how are you alive eating sponge cake all the time?" I was like, "Yeah, man." Like my friends walk into my room, they're like, "Whole more whole grain goldfish, Andy." How are you surviving on goldfish oh, you're crackers? Whole grain? Good for you. Oh, yeah, they're really good, Kevin. And I mean, they're better. Uh, I'll say that sauce. right now. Yeah. Uh, evidently, Japan is paying Germany a whole lot of money for their plane designs, and they're getting into debt. Hanja was going uh, to Tokyo tomorrow to get married. He leaves uh, Jiro to smoke a butt all by himself, and then Jiro arrives in good old Deutschland, and they're in awe of the German operation, which is markedly advanced than theirs. Uh, they get shown the G-38 bomber, which is uh, which Japan apparently is buying or is trying to get the designs for, and it is huge, uh, but the Germans are like, hey, man, we're li- limiting your access to this because we're not quite sure who's our friend and who's our foe and how much you guys should have to 
process. Uh, this has been uh, produced by Dr. Yunkers, who is apparently their lead engineer. And this is uh, it's interesting, too, because they make mention of this. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of this where it's like the German secret police are around. This is when the Nazi party is taking over and, and we get to see a little bit of their relationship with Japan. But they stress that it is stress, but we don't see how much of it. I would have liked to see more of that. Too. Yeah, um, I, it's really creepy. It's really unsettling when they start mentioning the secret police and, oh, they're here looking for you and all this stuff. I, In order, it, this game, this movie kind of reminds me of the first time and only time that I played Firewatch. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, where that, that game. where there's always sort of a a, a small threat of danger, mm-hmm. but it's never fully ever realized. Obviously, you know his his wife dies, and that's absolutely tragic. But I this movie always kind of hinted with war and with secret police that is somebody going to get kidnapped? Is somebody going to get murdered? Is he going to get like killed in the streets, public? Like what's going to happen here? And then it it's still kind of like this this somewhat calm understated story um but i always thought that something else was going to happen when they kept making mention of the military and everything uh jiro examines another uh all metal wing design but he's uh he's uh pushed back immediately by some of the german troops honcho comes to his defense but jiro stands up for himself in german and then dr juncker breaks it all up and gives them permission to go inside the g38 uh, and the interior is incredible it's a triumph quote of german industrial technology honcho goes over the specs that night but they're useless the ones provided in by the germans are basically just like some tech specs that you can't glean anything from but euro admires the radiator in the room because it was made by dr Junkers too and it's got a, it's got great lines and honcho's like where the fuck is your head right now we're doing a job. You're talking about radiators. This guy's crazy. Uh, they go for a walk, and Hanjo laments on how far behind they are from the Germans, and then Jiro wonders if there's a different way to catch up. And then out on the walk, they encounter a group of secret police chasing some other Germans, and it's scary as shit. Uh, the next morning, Jiro, uh, Jiro watches as bombers explode. Uh, bomb, a bomber explodes in the sky, raining down fire all over him, and it was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine. Hanjo gets again, a knock on the door. Again. His boss tells him he, it's not going to end. There's two or three more of those in here. Oh, great. His boss tells him. He's going back to uh, Hanjo's going back to Japan, but Jiro has to keep going west on his own. Uh, he sees Caproni on the train and asks him to go with to witness his final flight. Uh, they jump out of the train and discover a party aboard Caproni's passenger plane. This is what I'm talking about, Italians. Come on, there's got to be some safety standards. You can't have just 400 people partying and drinking. It was, it was a dream. Room only. I, but you know what, though, Kevin? That you, if you think so, and then you go on Italian airlines and, and all Italia, and if it's just drunk off their ass, people are passed out on the wing. It's like this is not going to fly. Passed out on the wing. Uh, are we taking off? It's cold out here. Uh, um, Caproni tells him that the inspiration is more than scale, so keep dreaming. Meanwhile, there's a rocking party happening downstairs. It looks very dangerous. They all walk up to the wing at the top, and Caproni tells him that he builds planes, even though they're inevitably going to be used for death and destruction. Uh, Jiro sees the form of a beautiful fighter, which looks a lot like an old school. I want to say Corsair is the name of the design of this one, so I just wrote it in here. And I think that's it. Someone with the, the wings come down and up. Mm-hmm. And I think we use them as well um, in the United States. I'm not quite sure how that happened. Because uh, I know the, the Japanese had their, their famous fighter was the Zero. And it wasn't this design, even though the Zero, I think, was faster. Oh, the next morning, uh, Jira heads for some coffee with Kurokawa. He looks over some of the planes uh, along with Hitoro, who tells him he's going to be the chief designer on a new bid for a naval carrier plane. And Jiro is in, uh, provided Hanjo can be on his team. But Kurokawa just, he's like, dude, no. He's, he shuts him down immediately. They Did land. we talk about who Kurokawa is voiced by? John Krasinski. Oh no, Martin Short. Martin Short. Yeah, that's great. He's great. It. He's awesome. I love it. I loved it. I, yeah, I always me too. find him very annoying. I thought it I thought he was good in this role. Like he nailed this role. And like later when he gets a little bit more compassionate, it was like, all right, 
You're you're bringing Bel- in a hundred percent. Belinda, what's the name of the little woman that Brad Bird voices in Incredibles? Edna. Edna. Mo- Edna. Yeah, that's what he reminded me of. He reminded mm-hmm. me of. Sort of the little short, uh, I'm always pissed off and angry. and Similar even hair, to- right? Similar hair, yeah. And yeah. even towards the very glasses. end when there's... And glasses, yeah. Yeah, the glasses. There's a, there's about to be a, a beautiful wedding and people are supposed to be emotional. I'm looking at him like, oh, he's still pissed off and angry because that's who he is. And then he just breaks out into kind of like crying and holding back his tears. and Because he just always looks pissed off. His eyebrows are always like... I like how bouncy his hair is at all times. It's always flapping, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Kurokawa and Jiro and another person from the company land on a Japanese uh, aircraft carrier. Well, barely land uh, because the Japanese engine that they've they've said are are inferior horsepower-wise kind of barely gets them on there and spits oil all over them and almost explodes. Then they watch as some of the older designed Japanese airplanes try to take off as well, and one of them eats shit. And Jiro's like, we are. We got a lot of catching up to do. Um, And then they take a boat back to shore because after watching two planes nearly crash, I'd be like, put me on a dinghy. Just put me on a dinghy and get back to the shore. Uh, they land. Let's see. Uh, we go out to the field next to test Jiro's newest metal design, which looks a lot like the one from his dream. Um, ooh, let's see. The plane takes off gracefully uh, over in the countryside. Naoko, finally older Naoko, we catch up. Her paints a pretty landscape as uh, Jiro walks by. Her father walks by too, and they cross paths. Uh, a gust of wind kicks up, uh, sending Naoko's white umbrella straight at Jiro. Uh, Satoru. Naoko's father, he catches it and uh, thanks him for helping out. Uh, and he's like, yeah, no problem. And then again, he leaves before telling Naoko his name. Power move. You know what I mean, Tim? Just, just get it going. I was so stressed during the scene because I just wanted them to reunite so badly. And when when they just like, when him and the dad just like cross paths and keep walking and he goes like into the trees, I was like, no, go back. Get Talk back, to her. Dude, and how like how much relief was it when he's like, oh, he's staying at our hotel. And oh, like, I was like, oh, okay, cool. Oh. We're good. We're good. Yeah. Uh, also, shout out to the dad for just being like, hey, daughter, you want this? We're going to make it happen. Don't even trip. Don't even trip. <laughs> Uh, he sees himself later that night examining wreckage and then uh, Satomi and uh, Naoko head down for dinner and who should they spot? Jiro, that's right. Uh, and the dude, and a dude with a really big nose uh, who is sitting next to him, who really likes salad a lot. Uh, the next day, Jiro runs into Naoko, who weeps at the side of him because she absolutely remembers him from all of those years ago. Uh, she'd probably invite him to her birthday party and tell him when she's hanging out, Andy, and it'd be really cool. Just you know, she'd be like, "Whatever, you'd be the first invite." Nick, like I'd be cool with you. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know, man. We walk home as the rain clears, revealing up a beautiful rainbow. And Yoko introduces him to her father on the walk. Uh, later that night, Jiro comes down half uh, expecting to see them because I believe they had uh, dinner plans, but he does not. Instead, who should sit next to him? That's right. From the Mandalorian, Werner Herzog joins him, and he is creepy. He plays I knew it was him. He I fucking so knew it was him. Yeah, what a like voice! Such an iconic voice. But I feel like the character was drawn so creepy with the smile that he the just eyes. always kind of had. Uh, all of it was – I didn't like it's, it. It's it's the eyes, Belinda, because they tried to make every German person have the piercing blue eyes, and they, they made them stylistically different looking, I felt mm-hmm. like, from mm-hmm. all the other characters. And they gave them kind of the lines in their iris. Um, yeah, it just – I don't know. It looked weird. It looked like gemstones were in his eyes, and he had just had this weird face – uh, I, was, I would like to see the baby. <laughs> that's my that's my that's my Mandalorian. Oh, 
Castorp tells him that Dr. Junker is, is at odds with the Nazis and they smoke a bunch of cigarettes and ketchup. And Castorp tells him that they're, they're he's like, you're a magic mountain, man. When you come here, you can forget about anything, even the impending war. Uh, Germans will go to war and they must be stopped. Uh, Satori arrives just then to tell him that Naoko has a fever, so they have to cancel their dinner plans. The next morning, uh, Euro makes a paper airplane that won't fly until he sees Naoko and almost dies. But then it flies up to her, uh, signifying, I guess, his budding love for her. Uh, she throws it back to him into the air and that creepy asshole Werner Herzog catches it and crumbles it and they're like dude what the fuck man why the fuck are you everywhere (laughs) dude this this scene was weird because it was like such a nice moment between him and her and then fucking Werner Herzog it's just just kind of (laughs) like like bro you need to leave get out of it yeah that's what it felt like uh let's see they keep playing with their airplanes and naoko almost falls off the balcony and jiro falls into some bushes so and times. catching her hat at this point if i were their father i would put a stop to this just like andy put a stop to all those ants lives later <laughs> that night jiro confesses his love for naoko to her father and asks for his approval naoko agrees that she wants the approval as well uh <laughs> even though she's suffering from tuberculosis just like val kilmer in tombstone creepy Werner herzog is just there again congratulates all of them he's like i'm so congratulations to your father and i'm creepy y'all and then hanjo yeah, that that this is this is the part where uh, you gotta assume you? that they had been dating for a while right no it's a summer i think yeah because yeah, he keeps saying weeks, it's summer maybe. love something something oh okay got it got it got it because yeah. i i guess watching the movie i assumed that time had passed because they were doing time jumps quite a bit and so i had assumed that this is a time jump a timescape we just necessarily didn't see and we're supposed to know that they've been together for long enough. Uh, right. You know, like, I'm, I don't know. I just assume that when he finally proposed, it's like, oh, they've been they've been dating for quite a while. Now he's finally ready to, to pop the question. But I guess it's only been a couple months or something like that. Uh, later. Less than that. I, I had the feeling uh, that yeah. it was very, very quick. Because the dad was like, no, right? What's yeah, up? the dad the dad became kind of weirdly cool with it immediately. <laughs> no, I, I, I first I he was like, like uh... the dad was like against it, like aggressively against it. And I assume that's because everybody knew the daughter was dying. Yeah, I think that was the I think okay. that was the reason because he was like, she's you know, she's got she, tuberculosis. Yeah. But then Werner Herzog was like, yeah, but this kid's cool and your daughter's cool, and the dad was like, congratulations. And then yeah. Werner, and then he looked over at Werner and was like, who are you? And why are you constantly <laughs> sitting next to us? It's very he has a bunch of crumpled paper airplanes. Like, <laughs> I, I saved these for you. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, later, Hanjo shows Jiro his new radical design, and Jiro is sure it'll fly. Hanjo is, has closed the gap in one huge step, and then he gives his friend the idea for to reduce drag using flathead screws and a hinge to aid with the ease of uh, service for some of the little doors in the plane. And Hanjo's like, that's a great idea, but you should keep that for yourself. It should absolutely go into your next design. It belongs in one of your planes. What a good friend. Kurokawa interrupts and tells Jiro that the secret police are looking for him. And they got to bang out. Uh, they've arrested a bunch of people and no one understands why. Uh, some of the boys uh, bring a flange. Let's see, bring in a flange that just got delivered. And, look at <laughs> and, everyone, and then everyone creams their work pants over this flange. They're like, this is the greatest flange anyone's <laughs> ever right. made. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we are 47 minutes, according to, to me hitting play on this. I don't know. It, uh, that might be a couple minutes off. But I want to give Nick an award because as far as I can tell, <laughs> this is the longest it's ever taken him to make any vaguely sexual reference okay. in, in review. So you did it. Congrats, Nick. Congratulations. Everybody. Fair, thank you. Thank you. I'll take that award. To be fair, you started laughing when I said flange. 
and you didn't even let me get to the point where I say they cream their work pants. Yeah. So, <laughs> they cream their work. Well, I pants. wasn't. We I didn't you, think. I didn't think the flange was sexual. Like okay. I, the flange, was, it was sure. just, you kept saying it in such a specific <laughs> Nick way. Yeah. And then while I'm laughing, you decided to take it sexual. <laughs> got to do it once I got I've you been on the hook. Too many flanges. Lampkins, lampkins. Everyone sneaks Jiro out of the factory, and he tells Hitoro and Kura, uh, Kurakawa he's got to go home because he's expecting a letter from his fiance. And when he says that they, he is engaged, his bosses straight up laugh at him. They're like, "We thought you were a robot." Uh, and he's like, no, that's fucked up. And then they all just stare at each other awkwardly. And then Werner Herzog pops up from the back seat and he says, yeah, I told you, yeah. And then he pops back down. <laughs> uh, Jiro is beside himself. Ever... He immediately... hmm? Sorry, do we ever find out why the uh, German secret police were in Japan after him? I think that because he talked to Castorp is what I is what I gleaned uh... from that. Like Castorp was some sort of like a government agent that had gone rogue and maybe yeah. they were just able I mean that and then that they were probably just rounding up like lead engineers and things like that and mm. maybe kidnapping them to be a part of the impending war effort not quite sure either way it's just like it's super scary because I mean he was part to. of the impending war effort right for Japan yeah. but if he was a lead engineer it's not beyond the shadow of doubt or, or belief that Germany would like hey come work for us and we're never letting you out of our country until we win this war just like we did with all those German scientists after the war, which is like, come on over here. Don't worry about that whole Nazi party thing. You guys can just yeah. make all of our cool technology for the next 20 years. Um, uh, let's see. He arrives. Uh, let's see. Uh, Jiro is beside himself. He immediately, excuse me. I, I skipped a couple things. He, they sneak Jiro out of the factory. He tells them all, boom. Uh, when they hear he's engaged, they laugh at him. Later, Jiro gets a call from Kurokara about a telegram he received from Nyoko uh, saying that she, or excuse me, from Nyoko's dad saying that Nyoko has had a lung hemorrhage. Uh, he's beside himself, so he immediately sets off to Tokyo. Dude, this gave uh, me so much anxiety. Finding yeah. out, like, hey, this is two days late. Just, yeah, yeah. she might be dead. Ugh, yep. Well, doesn't it and, then cut and we see her? Yeah. Yeah. yeah just and it's like, we see her, like, and, and yeah, we see the painting blood. and you see the yeah. red on the painting before yep. it's revealed that it's blood. It's like, Again, this is the difference that this movie has compared to the other ones, where it's like we're so we're used to characters having tuberculosis. Tuber, I can't say it. You know what I'm talking about. Tuberculosis. The Burke. But it's like now there's actual consequence. And it's like we're seeing those consequences in, in a graphic way that used to be reserved for wild boars being turned into demon monsters. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's like, no, this woman is just fucking dying. Uh, when he gets there. He finds Naoko bedridden. They embrace, and it's real sweet. Then he immediately leaves to go back home, and his future father-in-law sees him out. And you're like, you don't want to stay for 20 more minutes? You That's might what I said. Super weird. <laughs> He's just like, oh, good, you're good. I'm going back to work. And I'm like, I don't know if you're prior. Really? Yeah. Like, really quick turnaround. Stay. Here, dude. Uh, Naoko well, I mean, tells her father that she's so good. Go ahead. I was just going to say, it's a really slow, slow way to die. Like That's why they called it consumption, right? Because it's slowly like makes you into a stick figure so it, I, like i don't think she was at risk of dying right then and there right but, uh, but he just traveled that far to get there yeah yeah, it's that's like about, a, yeah opportunity cost like it's the type of trip that he didn't even know how to get there <laughs> you know like <laughs> it's not like he's done this trip a bunch and it's like ah, uh, i gotta go back home three minute drive or whatever no this is like how do i get to tokyo what's the fast way to like this yeah. guy made a trek out there and he was crying on a train while still working on this damn airplane it's mm-hmm. like just stay there for like a, just stay there for the night big dog you know 
Uh, Naoko pulls her father aside and tells her that she needs to go to the mountain sanatorium, which is far, um, but she's willing to go and be all alone by herself because she wants to get better and have a life with Jiro. Uh, later, Jiro presents his airplane to a bunch of people, including his team, the Navy, and all the people that work the higher-ups of his company. He shows them the design for the retractable wings and minimal drag so it can go hella fast. Not 200 knots, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to go 270 knots. I Kevin, love it. That's a lot of knots. Uh, so, many knots. so many knots. So many knots. It's like teraflops, you know. The key will be the flush rivets, which will minimize drag and allow their underpowered engines to soar. Uh, winter falls, and apparently the cure for tuberculosis is leaving patients outside in the snow because that's where all of them are just bundled up out there. And I've never understood this, but I guess, Kevin, is, is cold weather better for, for lung infections? I don't know, honestly. But It feels uh, like it shouldn't be. I feel like warm weather would be all, better, but... Like- they were all wrapped I... up and they were trying to get their like them to like heat up and maybe kill the the, the it's infection. A viral infection, right? The, the, I imagine so. I think it's because it's antibiotics. Like... They get rid of it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I was I really so. that part. I, I felt I don't know. I, I, I guess I'd kind of space out in that one moment. And I kind of thought to myself. Like, are, are they just leaving them out there to die? Like, what's happening here? It was so, it was well, such a weird scene. Bacterial. Yeah. Bacterial what, what's, what's the word that they called it, and which essentially is a hospital? It's not sanatorium. 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 Yeah, oh, it is sanatorium. Yeah. Yeah. Not sanitarium. Sanatorium. Okay, sanatorium. gotcha. Those are two different things that sound very similar. Yeah. yeah. One's for loony people, and the other one's for, I guess, putting people out in the cold when they're no, more, no longer used to the, uh, to the general population. Yeah, sanatorium is for people with, like, chronic illnesses and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. They like I think they like are work on one thing specifically. Metallica has a song called Sanitarium. Not yeah, Tim, that's not that one. Different. They one. also have one called Inner Sandman. They do, yeah. Oh, nothing, yeah. nothing to do with this stuff. Nope. <laughs> See, but, so this is this is confusing because like Googling sanatorium and sanitarium, they both have the exact same definition, which is an establishment for the medical treatment of people who are convalescing or have a chronic illness. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. No, no. A, a sanitarium but, is supposed to be, but I think like it says it a, also spelled sanitarium. It says a I, sanatorium I think, also spelled sanitarium. I think you guys really? were thinking about like she went to one specifically for tuberculosis. Ward. And we're thinking yeah. about one specifically for mental health. For mental health, yeah. yeah I, th- so I, I thought I thought sanitarium was like the mental health one. Gotcha. Okay. Well, but I mean, yeah, it's just I weird. It's There's just a specific one. Different spellings. It's the same thing. Well, there hmm. you go. Well, learn some shit here. An interview. Um, uh, Jiro gets a call from Satomi. Naoko has left the mountains and she's on her way to him. Apparently, she's just had enough of the cold. Uh, they push their way. She arrives at the train station. It's very, very crowded. And the two of them push their way to reach each other and they finally embrace. And it's real sweet, real sweet. Uh, Naoko has to go back, but Jiro tells her, he's like, just stay. And she's like, well, I'll die. And he goes, eh, you know. <laughs> At least we'll do it together. I don't say that explicitly, but like that's kind of what I mean. Yeah, and, and she's like, weird. "Yeah, I guess you're right. I guess we'll have some time together." And he's like, "Yeah, I mean, I'll live, and I got a you know bunch of cool designs and stuff. I'll probably be wealthy, so but we'll just hang out together." He, he could have gotten you. tuberculosis really easy. I mean, it, I feel like they were kissing a lot, and it's true. It's uh, yeah. it's just like isn't that what they call the the kissing disease, or is that no, mono? That's mono. That's mono. mono. Yeah. But like, I think tuberculosis is like you <laughs> cough blood and that. Yeah, it gets around, it. you know. Yeah, probably. Uh, either way, they decide to spend what little yeah, time she has left together. Uh, Naoko has to. Uh, let's see. Uh, he takes her back to Kurakawa's house where he is staying, but the boss is like, "Nope, this ain't gonna happen under my roof, man. No unmarried couples banging it out in the next room. Not while I'm on Do watch. It. I'm Martin Short. I'm Martin Short, 
And they, so they go, hey, well, guess what? We'll get delivered, uh, uh, married tonight, and you guys will be our witnesses. And he's like, that's a dumb idea. And then he pulls him aside and says, dude, you got to put that girl back on a train tomorrow morning uh, or else you're, gonna, you're being selfish. And he admits that Naoko doesn't have much time left anyway because she's going to die. And he goes, but if she goes through the mountains, she might get better. And Jiro's like, nah, we're just past that. And then they stare at each other. <laughs> Because I'd be like, or she or, could get better in the mountains, right? Like maybe one more year there in the mountains and maybe it, it clears it up. But Who I knows? mean, like all they were doing is her having her sleep in a sleeping bag outside. It, it looked like it's a true. very comfortable sleeping bag. But it like, did. you know what I mean? Swaddled up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like when you swaddle up a dog. I think yeah. I got mm. the feeling that she knew that she was donezo. Uh, I guess so. Me she, too. she must have. That's why she yeah. left. They must have been like, it's it's yeah. terminal. She's like, cool, I'm going to go spend what little time I have left with my man. Uh, Naoko looks stunning in her wedding dress. And uh, even though she can barely walk and they exchange the sacred vows, Ko shows up the next morning and Jiro has completely forgotten she is coming. They congratulate each other, uh, her for finally graduating medical school and Jiro for his nuptials. Ko chides him for leaving Naoko alone already. She's not doing well and Ko hates it. And she's a doctor and she knows what she's talking about. Uh, Jiro tells her that Na- uh, Naoko has to stay there because each day they have together is very precious now because she's dying of the Val Kilmer cold. Uh, Jiro tucks Naoko Not one in. one comment about them banging it out, huh? That's crazy. I don't think they had sex. They I definitely they had oh, sex. Oh, they they, like, they showed. They, they had the You guys, I, I am in. I, this is a pure relationship for me. It's spiritual. And they hold hands. That's all they did in this. They were except wet. For, except for. Literally, if anyone shows anyone a flange, oh, you know what I mean? Just an explosion. Yeah. Tim, we, or Nick, do you know flange. how cool it is that they had, like, it was a stainless steel, aluminum. like, yeah, aluminum flange. Cool like, that's... That's one Stay sexy flange. <laughs> Uh, Jiro, let's see, Blanche. There you go. Uh, Jiro tucks Naoko in and continues to work while she watches him. She puts a puts a little hand out of the thing and says, "Hey, hold my hand while you work." And he's like, "Well, it's so gonna make cute. it real hard to use this slide rule, but I'll do it." And then he goes, "Man, I gotta like go your hand for a second because I gotta smoke a cigarette." And she's like, "Just smoke it." And he goes, "Well, it's not very good for you." She goes, "I don't care." And he goes, "Oh, okay, like cool. Dying. I'll just smoke a cigarette." You have a massive lung infection. Oh, yeah, I'll just have it. Yeah, just this could this could take three days off of your life. Fuck <laughs> it. Fuck it. Again, Jiro, a little selfish. Uh, Hanjo, the next day, looks, excuse me. Uh, Hanjo looks over Jiro's design, and he's amazed by it. He asks to use Jiro's flush rivets and hinge design in his next plane uh, because it is overweight, and it, needs, it desperately needs a redesign, even though they'll tell, they're telling him he can't do it anymore. He thinks the massive flaw to his bomber is that it's carrying all the fuel in its wings, which makes one to two or two to three hits on the wing just <laughs> super deadly. And then we see a of what he's talking about, and like two bullets hit the wing, and it just explodes. Explodes. Like, my God. Yeah. Um, let's see. Can you next. imagine? being sent on a bomber that has that flaw and it also yeah. has bombs. Yeah, that'd be terrifying. <laughs> You'd be like, well, we're not coming back from this one. Yeah. Uh, the next morning, he sneaks back in to tell Naoko his plane is finished. Uh, time to see how it flies. Uh, he'll have to spend the next few nights, of course, out in the field, but he couldn't have done it without her. She takes his glass of off and tucks him in, and then she snuggles to him as he falls fast asleep. Uh, later that day, Jiro heads off. And Nyoko goes out for a walk. He tells everyone she's going out for a walk, at least. Uh, when Ko comes back to visit, she finds that Nyoko's room has been emptied, and only the only thing that are remaining are three letters left addressed to everyone. Uh, when she opens the letter, it says she's going back to the sanatorium. Uh, she wants them all, and then the other woman gives a little exposition here, where she's like, she just wants us all to remember her how she is. Or I, pr- I present to you an alternate theory. Maybe she wants to live and has realized that just wasting her life away here while her husband works twelve hours a day 
is not great. So I'm going back to get swaddled up by the nurses up at Mount Doom or wherever the fuck she came from. Uh, (laughs) She watches the sky outside her train as she leaves for any sign of Jiro's test plan. And then we cut back over uh, to them actually testing it. And it is fast man uh, as it flies by Jiro a gust of wind picks up and his attention is suddenly drawn over into the direction of the plane it's a very very beautifully composed shot everyone celebrates the accomplishment because this thing is fast as shit and the pilot having landed safely walks up and shakes his hand quote she flies like a dream uh, the peaceful beauty is soon overtaken of course by the wreckage and carnage of the impending war uh, Jiro we get a shot of him walking through a plane graveyard to meet Caproni one last time and he says what about he asked him, what about your 10 years in the sun? Did you live them well? And he says, yes, things fell apart in the end, though. And he says, that's what happens when you lose a war. And he's like, no, I was talking more about my wife dying, but whatever. I guess, yeah, fucking the war. That's great, too. Uh, they watch a squadron of Jiro's fighters fly by. And he says, it's a truly masterful design. And then Jiro says, yes, but not one single one of them returned. And he says, there's nothing to return to. Airplanes are beautiful. Cursed dreams waiting for the sky to swallow them up. And I'm like, I don't think this movie is hopeful. And then he says, someone is waiting for you. And we look over and it's just confirmed for me. It is his dead wife. And he sees her and she says, uh, he says, you must live still, Jiro. Meanwhile, I'm going to float back up to the sky, but I'll leave you this white umbrella to remember me by. And he's like, this is all horrifying now. Uh, We watch as she floats into the sky, uh, leaving the white umbrella behind. And he says, she was beautiful like the wind. And then Jiro thanks him. And then like a true Italian, Caproni invites him over to his house to get hammered. I love that that's the end of the movie. Like that is the final line we are left on. (laughs) But I do love that that's all a dream. Like, sorry, go for it, Nick. I was going to say, we get a banger of a song at the end oh of yeah this. and this oh, is what i'm good. talking about okay y'all had it all last week with pun yo pun yo pun now you're cool. crazy you go back go to hell. you go back and listen to Pony. no i did the, not the, the, the remix <laughs> no <laughs> the remix fucking sucks nick these kids what? are lying to you what it sucks sorry i was too busy looking it. at pictures of sexy flanges <laughs> ew nick I loved this final dream sequence and I love that it was a dream. Like I love that this movie ends on a dream because at the end of the day, it's like still coming from him. Like like he's kind of created this character in his mind based off of things that he's read and, you know, these final moments and his whole life being consumed by trying to make these planes and like still like seeing that, seeing himself succeed, but then also fail at the same time. It's just like so cool, especially when you look at this through the lens of, we've now just went through this journey and in review of all of his movies and how much shit have we d- talked and joked about how much he loves these flying things, right? Like mm-hmm. this movie very much felt about him. We know that with Totoro, he was talking about uh, his parents growing up with the, the issues with tuberculosis and all that. And like to then deal with the death of all of it. And it just feels so, so real and personal. And I just feel like if this was his last movie, I think it's such a great way to go out. Uh, it kind of just being like a, culmination of everything that came before it but like the fantasy kind of becoming a reality at the end in a way that this movie is like reality becoming a fantasy at the end it is true really i didn't read that i didn't read it all as just being a dream i didn't read it that way wait i just seen the last yeah i mean like the the last scene just um him walking through the graveyard yeah obviously obviously like um Tim, you're not intimating that everything was fake in this whole movie, right? Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, okay, okay. The okay. last scene was a dream. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's Wanted very little... like end of Hamilton, right? Like 
uh, Eliza's there welcoming him and telling him to live all that. I loved yeah. it. Yeah. I thought it was beautiful. Yeah. The, the final moments like really got me. And then especially when we, uh, when the credits hit and you're sort of, uh, I think that the first image you see is he, uh, him and Naoko on the hill kind of just like embracing each other. I was like, God damn, this shit got me. Shit got me real good. Uh, so we don't have any haiku in reviews for this one. Uh, but Ninja Space Sloth did write in to patreon.com slash kind of funny, just like you can, to say, bro, y'all should do Dragon Ball and review and rank all the Dragon Ball movies. I'm sure Andy would love it. No. <laughs> Dude, there are so the, many of those. The Belinda Doe like, there. Nope. <laughs> What's the live action Dragon Ball movie? That's it's just Evolution. Really Evolution. Evolution. Yeah, that's right. Hey, <laughs> hey, we got a hey, Emmy Rossum's in it, guys. Emmy Rossum's yeah, in I it. I never watched it. I I've, love the Dragon Ball like series. I love it. I have never watched that. I know better. Yeah. I, I me too, Kevin. Like even though I was young enough to probably be yep. into it, I was like, I know something's wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, something's this wrong. Not, this is not gonna be good. Uh for MVP, our final MVP, uh, number one currently we have Yakul from Mononoke. Number two, we have Dope Daddy from Totoro. Number three, we have Fujiko from Castle of Cagliostro. Uh, number four, we have Fio from Porco Rosso. Number five, we have the boiler guy from Spirited Away. Six, Calcifer from Howl's Moving Castle. Seven, Pirates slash Dola from Castle in the Sky. Seven, Asono from Kiki. Eight, Taito from Nausicaa. And nine, the Green Pale from Ponyo. I forgot you guys did that last week. Ponyo, Ponyo, Ponyo. I'm I'm going to recommend Caproni for this one, but just put him dead last because I don't know what the hell he's saying the entire time. He's talking about dreams, he's talking about war, he's talking about how airplanes are great, but don't make them, but maybe make them anyway. I don't know. He's under the green pail. I would put him under the green pail. I, I, I was actually going to recommend his best friend and also put him under the green pail because like he, he, at one point he, he like gets help from him, but he doesn't really help him, you know? Yeah. Caproni reminds me a lot of Dumbledore at the end of Harry Potter, Don't the dream that. sequence where you're just like, Dumbledore, what are you trying to tell me? What are you trying to tell Harry? <laughs> Caproni kind of reminds me a lot about a lot like that, where he's just speaking in riddles, kind of just not uh, even like Gandalf and a lot of Lord of the Rings. Like, hey, just be clear with me. What do you want me to do? What's, what's the next play here? You know, Belinda, who's your MVP and where would you put them? Oh, man. Um... I don't know. I feel like I would do Caproni. I feel like I would do Kurokawa some, a little bit too. Because I feel As like MVP. He's... Yeah. Hmm. I mean, he gave him a job, and he also married them. And you know what? Yeah, like, you're making okay. some good points. You're making um, some good points. There was hesitation. <laughs> yeah, but he was a dick about all of it. Yeah, but, but he, he had he, also, like, he didn't give him a job. He was just his manager. Right, but he also like you know let like flew him all over the place, and then like gave because he like, was real smart, made him the lead designer and whatever, whatever, and then he lived with he him. He didn't even give him his like best friend as his like uh, coworker. He did his own thing. He was fine. He didn't. I'm, need like, to. I'm, no, no, no. I'm with like Belinda. He's... I'm with Belinda because he had to be he he had to sort of be the. I don't know. You know when you're when you're in little league baseball and you got a little you got a mean coach, but he's only like mean because he believes in you and he knows how, what you're capable of. I feel like he was very much that sort of fatherly coach figure in this movie. I told I think I'm, he I'm told me when he married them. 
and he yeah. was crying. I was like, "Oh, you do have feelings." You do. Oh, have would you would you put him above or below the green pail? <laughs> put him above. I would Dude. put him above the green pail. How oh mad were you, Belinda, listening to that last week? <laughs> would you put him like... above Tato? No. I would put him above Tato. I love Tato. I'd put him above Tato. I love Tato. I don't think Tato should be that low, but I love Tato. <laughs> the green pail. All right, we're gonna put him. We're gonna put him right in between Tato and the green pail. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with Kevin. Put put you cowards. Put the green pail at number I'm one. I've seen three number one. <laughs> <laughs> the the MVP of all the Miyazaki movies, the green pail. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. All right. Uh, now it's time to finally rank the Miyazaki movies. Number one is Spirited Away. Number two is Princess Mononoke. Number three is Nausicaa in the Valley of the Wind. Number four is My Neighbor Totoro. Number five, Kiki's Delivery Service. Number six, Castle of Cagliostro. Number seven, Howl's Moving Castle. Number eight, Porco Rosso. Number nine, Ponyo. And number 10, Castle in the Sky. Man, I'm at a weird spot right now because mm. after, obviously, rankings, towards the end of these rankings, when there's a big list of movies, you have all sorts of feelings because you think this movie should be here and that movie should be there. Re-listening to that list, I think Cagliostro should have been higher. Nick, I'm, I'm so sorry to have... That's okay. To have dishonored you. That's okay. Um, I mean, we, I just would, had, we all had a blast watching it. It was super important and fun. But it's cool. Important. Put it, put I, it, I would it. just do I it like put, you did the, the green pail. Put it second to last and fucking shoot <laughs> me in the face. I would put this movie over because uh, here's the thing. I don't enjoy this movie more than Castle Cagliostro, but I enjoy it more than Kiki's and Kiki's is above that. I'd put it above Kiki's delivery service. That's exactly I'm in a similar place. Yeah, I put well, it over Totoro, which is over Kiki's, correct? So yes, correct. it is. Yeah, correct. I'm and, in some place with Andy where my list is all messed up because I don't agree with this list. So I'm putting it at number Same. three above Nausicaa, the Valley of the Wind. I also don't agree <gasps> no. with this list. Well, that's how no. this list works. Yeah. The list is. But jungle, I feel like this bro. is the furthest away I've been from our list ever before. Yeah. I, undeniably, these Miyazaki movies have been the most all over the place in terms of everyone has such a different list which is yeah. kind of cool for what yeah, these no, movies actually are because they are so radically different yeah when you when you when you're reading chat people are like you're right on andy or you're fucking terrible andy <laughs> like it's yeah. all everybody's <laughs> because everybody has different feelings uh you know tied to so many of these different movies i thought howls should be way towards the top and it's way at the bottom and it's it's crazy yeah it's crazy nick where would you put it i i could put it so this is my problem is I, I like Cagliostro the most, but I think this movie is undeniably stunning and an accomplishment. So I would put it probably above Kiki, maybe a scotch below Totoro, just because I feel like Totoro had a little more heart, but that's where I probably put it. All right. So who thinks it's better than castle in the sky? Raise your hand. Who thinks it's better than Ponyo? Raise your hand. Porco Rosso. Raise your hand. Howl's moving castle, castle of Cagliostro, Kiki's delivery service. Totoro. Oh, yeah. no, I do think I it's better he's... than Kiki. Okay. Yeah. yeah but who thinks it's better than Totoro? So that leaves it then, ladies and gentlemen. The final ranking. Wait, wait, wait. Hold that. I'll put it above Totoro. Why yeah, do you do I this, would, Andy? You do this I every would put week. This, I would, no, I don't. What are you talking you about? Every week, Andy. Every <laughs> single goddamn <laughs> week. We're tired Kevin, of no. it. I've been waiting for someone else to say it, but I'll step up. Kevin and I are right. Kevin's All right, Andy. Who thinks it's better than Nausicaa? Raise your head. 
Oh, All right, cool. Mean, the final mean? ranking then. Number one, Spirited Away. Number two, Princess Mononoke. Number three, Nausicaa and the Valley of the Wind. Number four, The Wind Rises. Number five, My Neighbor Totoro. Number six, Kiki's Delivery Service. Number seven, Castle of Cagliostro. Number eight, Howl's Moving Castle. Number nine, Porco Rosso. Number 10, Ponyo. And number 11, Castle in the Sky. Is this Ladies the longest Is this the longest interview we've done since MCU? It's, it's definitely up there. I think X-Men would beat it out uh, with all of its extra... I think once all we the do the la- the last one, maybe, right? Yeah. There are nine movies and ten now. I don't know. We got Deadpool mm-hmm. one and two. Oh, I forgot. About we have X Men one, oh, two, right, and three. Right. We have the other trilogy. Wolverine. We have the Wolverine trilogy. So tied. Yeah. Well, no. Dang. Once we do the last one, right? Because that would once New Mutants comes out oh, yeah. for us safely. Yeah. Wow. wow. Crazy stuff. Uh, we're about to do Batman and. Conjuring in review for the next whole bunch of weeks. Uh, Conjuring definitely throughout October. Spooky for Halloween. Uh, Batman just because it's fucking Batman, baby. Let's go. I can't wait to keep watching these movies. We're going to have a good time together here on In Review. Belinda, thank you for joining us for so many weeks. I'm sure we'll have you back for some other show at some point uh, when it makes sense. But until then, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at, at BBC Garcia. Fantastic stuff. Go support her. Show the homie some love. Till next week. It was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>